0: Well, good morning, Life Church. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online for church this morning. Happy Sunday to you, I hope you're doing well. We're gonna continue our series today that we've called One Story, taking us from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. Last week, we came up to the book of Judges and introduced this topic called entropy. That's where we'll pick up today. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Max Dupree, uh, who was a CEO of a company called Herman Miller which was a very innovative and creative fortune 500 company he wrote some classic books on leadership that some of you watching may have read um, somebody once asked him Mr. Dupree what's the most difficult thing that you personally have to work on this was Max's response he said it's the interception of entropy entropy Now, that's an advanced science word. And I, as you can see, I'm not wearing a lab coat. Neither are most of you. So I'm going to throw out a few of the definitions of this working word entropy today. Uh, In the physics world, it means a quantitative measure of unavailable thermal energy. That's helpful, right? In IT parlance, it is a measure of loss of information in a transmitted message. Starting to make a little bit more sense. The cosmological definition is, the tendency for all matter and energy in the universe to evolve toward a state of inert uniformity. Okay? Then there's the socio-spiritual definition, which is, the inevitable and steady deterioration of a society. Now for this message and for our purposes today, we're gonna be using this socio-spiritual definition of the word entropy. Basically, everything has a tendency to, to to deteriorate when left to itself. Stuff just deteriorates, doesn't it? ever noticed that? Of course you have. If you ever bought a brand new car and drove it off the lot, you have been involved in financial entropy. <laughs> Your net worth deteriorates the moment you drive off that car lot. If any of you have ever bought a timeshare condo, then you already know this to be true, don't you? Plus, about a month or two into the coronavirus lockdown, YouTube constantly was showing the epic boredom across the nation in households when siblings were getting on each other's nerves and becoming the lowest possible version of themselves. That is household entropy. (music) Everything, when left to its own, when not given attention and given energy, has this tendency to deteriorate. That's how it works. And when people do this, when people become apathetic or complacent or just settle for the path of least resistance in some area of life, then entropy sets in. Then dreams die, hopes fade, and a terrible, terrible thing happens. You learn that you can live with mediocrity. Not a great life but one you can probably tolerate. Entropy is a great enemy of the human spirit. The Bible has a lot to say about it and that's what we're gonna be looking at today. Last week we saw this at work in the life of of God's people uh, in the book of Judges as they were entering into the promised land. After all their waiting and wandering and battles and challenges, they enter into a time of peace and prosperity in their new land. And then we saw the cycle that they fell into and we discovered that we also have the tendency to get into that very same cycle. And it's a cycle that looks like this. Peace, then complacency, then compromise, then sin, and then pain, and then calling out to God, and then rescue, and then peace comes again, and then the whole cycle tends to continue. Now, the writer of Proverbs, seeing this tendency in God's people, he says that the wise wise person is always, always on the lookout for entropy, signs for entropy that it's settling in. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 23, it says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks, give careful attention to your herd. In other words, he's saying you have to constantly be on the lookout because things might've been okay yesterday. That doesn't mean that they're gonna be okay forever. Put any important area of your life on autopilot and it's at risk. So observing this over the years, Max Dupree said he made a list of signs that entropy is settling in. I'm just gonna read a few of them today. These are signs that entropy is advancing. Here's the first one. A tendency towards superficiality. Tendency towards superficiality. You start skimming in important relationships in life. Relationships like in marriage or with friends or in devotions or in serving or in giving. You start losing passion and you settle for doing the bare minimum here's a second sign unresolved tension in key relationships so rather than having difficult conversations for the sake of relational health you settle for just liking the other person less and investing less in that relationship the next sign is no longer having time for celebration or ritual you know some ritual is really really good it's really healthy Like for some families, this is family night. We don't schedule other stuff then. Or this night is date night. We don't blow that off in order to just work or go out with the guys or go out with the girls or anything else. We protect those times. I've seen some couples allow entropy into their life by losing interest in celebrating each other's birthdays and other holidays. They figure, hey, we've been married for decades. She knows that I love her. Why make a big deal out of Valentine's Day? That's entropy creeping in. Next, another sign is a loss of gratitude. Start taking little things for granted. And rather than being vocally thankful for the layers of blessings in our lives, we start focusing on the things that we don't have. We lose gratitude. We also lose the life that comes by saying thank you to one another. That's a big deal. Another sign is a vague and chronic sense of guilt. See A sneaky form of deterioration and entropy sets in when we start ignoring the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Rather than go to God with these feelings, we ignore them, we push them down, or we justify them. But we're not fooling our souls. Deep down, we know we still feel guilt, but we just start learning to carry it with us like baggage. These are indicators, friends, that entropy is starting to settle in. Entropy can damage friendships. It can damage our work. It can damage our families, our character, our finances, really every area of life. And one reason I thought it'd be good for us to take a good hard look at this today is because entropy can strike a church. It can. I mean, you think about a church. When it first gets started, a church is a little group of people that dream of being used by God to touch their own community because they know that there are people that are a million miles away from God that need to be reached and touched and brought into the community. There are children who need to learn about God. There are gifts that can be cultivated and expressed in a growing, vibrant group of believers. Like when a little church is started, it it begins because a tribe of people is seized by that dream. But then over time, a really bad thing can happen, entropy can set in, the dream dies, and this entropy takes over in the church, and you can tell, you can tell. Because the focus shifts, it shifts from what is God calling us to do in Orlando to what am I getting out of this, and is it enough to motivate me to continue? We start focusing internally. People go from living as servants to just being attenders, and then before long, they're consumers, and they start look. They get unhappy, and they start. voicing these dissatisfactions, and they come in to this body of believers and they just wait to be wowed or thrilled or whatever. And if it doesn't happen, they'll start looking for a place that will serve the wants of their family better. And listen, friends, there's always a better show out there, no matter how slick, no matter how good, no matter how big, there's always a better show out there. And if the people decide to even stay, they get an unsettledness about them and they begin to argue over things that really don't even matter. You know, it's a sad thing to look at churches that were built decades, maybe even centuries ago, and think that there was a day when that church was really strong. I mean, today, in lots of European countries, church involvement is about one to 2% of the population. In other words, 98% of people in that country do not do what we're doing right now, gathering to give thanks to God and to honor Him, to worship Him, and to learn of Him. That's a tragic thing, and make no mistake, that declining trend is absolutely in place in the united states right now and it's starting to get into an advanced state god's will for us as individuals and as a church is never ever entropy and that's why the bible deals with this problem in the book of proverbs chapter 24 beginning in verse 30 uh, 30 here's what it says i walk by the vineyard of one with no common sense Another translation says, I walked by the vineyard of a lazy person. It says, I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. What a picture that is. You know, I, I walked through a friend's vineyard in Germany many years ago. Uh, she lived in Moselle, which is one of the great wine regions of Germany. And she told all about the effort that goes into a vineyard that works, like the vines and the stakes and the rows and all the, the dedicated care that goes into it. And a fruitful, productive vineyard is an incredible thing. But here's the thing about vineyards. They don't just happen by themselves. They don't just spring up by accident. No, something is behind it. That's what the writer of Proverbs is addressing when he writes this. He says, I'm walking past this vineyard and it was a mess, thorns all over the place, the ground's covered with weeds, the walls are falling down. It's a nightmare, it's a nightmare. Now, to understand the angst behind this proverb, you've gotta get this. In the ancient Middle East, a piece of land that was capable of growing crops was just about the most valuable thing in the world. To have a vineyard was to be incredibly blessed. It was providing food and drink and sustenance. It was the opportunity of a lifetime. And to have it dying from neglect is a monumental and grievous sin. Now, listen, entropy wins when we fail to comprehend this one big truth. This is your vineyard. Life Church Orlando, this is your vineyard. This is your chance to become all God wants you to be and to do his work in this world. This is your vineyard. And you don't have to do it on your own. God meets you there. He partners with you. But God will never force any of us into action or to care for our own vineyard. He never forces anyone into things like that. He wants us to choose it for ourselves. Now, the writer of Proverbs here is thinking like this. He's thinking, I saw this vineyard and I thought, I saw what could have been, what might have been, could have been a thing of beauty, could have been a source of blessing to everybody around, but it wasn't. It fell tragically short of what might have been. He says, I wondered why, why? Was there some catastrophe? Was there a drought or a flood or a fire or some disaster? No. It was just taken for granted. It was just assumed that it would always be there just in case we ever needed it. That by some miracle, it would just see to itself and be a thriving, fruitful, excellent vineyard even though it was just ignored by most. Friends, this is your vineyard. This is your chapter of the worldwide body of Christ. God has a presence on this planet and it's through you. It's through me, it's through us. He's banking on our vineyard, producing eternal fruit and being a source of life. The church is the extended hands of Jesus in this world, and it's eternal, and it's the very hope of the world. Now, people's lives and eternities have been changed because of God's work through you. A team of volunteers makes life Church. Life Church work on a regular basis. Life Church doesn't just run because of paid staff, no. Because of people like you that serve and give of themselves, people are learning to walk out their faith in increasing manner and being equipped for God's work. People are growing consistently in their faith and their walk with Jesus because you choose to serve and work with us together at Life Church. People with needs of all kinds get met and helped through you. Believers in other states and even in other countries have been encouraged and equipped and blessed because you serve as a part of Life Church. So significant and eternal things are moving forward all the time. But that's only because enough Life Church folks are dialed in and are serving and working in the vineyard, the one that God has given you to cultivate and grow and learn. So I'll ask you Are you in? Are you in? for real. Distractions abound. I know this. (laughs) I know this very well. Things try to distract me all the time. We get swept up by self-inflicted busyness and hobbies and worries and a host of all kinds of things. And we just can't seem to find time to give ourselves to God and to others. We intend to, but when entropy sets in, we're lulled into waiting and waiting and waiting. Here's a question for you. What life are you waiting for? Seriously. What life are you waiting for? Recognize entropy. To face it means trusting God to step out and start serving in the vineyard that he's given us. Now, opportunities God has given us right in front of us, right now. Like right now. This is your vineyard. And if you're going to continue to produce fruit and grow in your faith, it's not going to be because a vineyard fairy comes and sprinkles fairy dust all over the whole thing. No, it'll be because we go to God now and say, God, help me. Help me intercept entropy and the damage that it will do. So what are the next steps that I can do that you want me to take now? How can I serve? Who can I serve? Where can I serve? There's an article written a while back I told about a guy who went to a house that he used to live in 20 years ago, a place where he grew up, he hadn't been there in 20 years. And he knocks on the door, and when the guy answers, he says, I know this is kind of weird, kind of odd, but I lived here 20 years ago. Would you by chance let me just kind of take a quick walk through the house just to kind of reminisce? And the guy was a sport, and he goes, "Bah, eh, sure, why not? So he starts walking through the different rooms of the house all the way up really into the attic, starts looking through the attic. He sees in the far corner of the attic a jacket laying in the corner he goes over and picks it up it's his jacket and he put it on still fits puts it on reaches his hands in the pocket and he finds a ticket stub and the ticket stub is for a shoe repair shop and he remembers that 20 years ago he brought a pair of shoes in for repair totally forgot about it so he decides to go from there to see if the shop is still around so he goes down to the shop it's still there he goes in and uh, rings the bell guy comes up and he says uh has kind of a snicker on his face and he goes hey uh are my shoes ready guy says hang on a second he goes into the back room in the work room comes back out a minute later and he goes come back a week from thursday (laughs) come back a week from thursday that friends is a sign of entropy it's always a week from thursday we don't tell ourselves never we tell ourselves maybe a week from thursday This is universal, friends. We think like, that. I know, I know, I know, I need to get my spiritual life together. I know I need to get more involved in the church and be more proactive in faith stuff and get up off my blessed assurance and start serving others. Right now, though, I'm so busy. But it looks like things are gonna clear up around next Thursday, so maybe I'll get a chance to start serving then. And the writer of Proverbs tells us, some people specialize in making excuses for entropy. But here's an excuse you probably haven't used in a while. It comes in the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 13. It says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I just find something funny about a guy who says, well, I was gonna go serve, I was gonna go make the most of my vineyard, but then the news said that the lion factor out there is getting pretty bad, so, you know. That, folks, is officially scraping the bottom of the excuse barrel. I think of people like you, like me. We want to grow. We want to be involved, but we find excuses for putting it off. And you know, it didn't used to be that way, did it? We think like this, well I I used to be vibrant, I used to be joyful, I was connected with other believers and I had a sense of purpose in my life. What happened? What happened? Let me just speak specifically to this issue before I close. So many believers live with this low-grade sense of dissatisfaction with their Christian experience. There's a reason for it. It's a great writer by the name of Erwin McManus who wrote this, he said, "So listen to these words, so much of Christian language and experience is essentially self-indulgent. Say that again, so much of Christian language and experience is essentially self-indulgent. He goes on, he says, when I get asked like what we're all about, I hear most believers say things like, well, we're here to worship. Or we're here to fellowship with each other. Or we're here to learn from God's word. All good things. But subconsciously, we believe it's all about our experience and all the things that are intake oriented. In other words, it's kind of me centered. And that flawed thinking actually backfires.
1: Imagine a church where every member is
0: passionately,
1: wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots.
0: This one wants a small church. But I'm afraid if it's too small, they're going to make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I?
1: Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go to 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> You'd drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Hit!
0: Me, church, where it's all about you. And that flawed thinking actually backfires. So it's kind of like this. Stay with me for just a moment. Take a real deep breath, inhale, and then hold it, and then hold it. Now without exhaling, inhale again, and then do it again. Without exhaling, inhale again. If you keep on doing that, you'll black out. You'll just pass out and drop, because all you're doing is taking in without giving out. Even our bodies, our very nature, is based on not just taking, but in giving. Now this is true in your experience as part of this body life church as well as in your own human body. A lot of our church experience is like a person inhaling 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 and never exhaling. Taking in without giving out is unnatural, it's unhealthy and your soul knows it. Something's off. That's why there's this low grade dissatisfaction at work in our lives. If you don't if you and I don't spend part of our lives and spending ourselves for others, it's like we're not exhaling at all. We're taking in plenty, filling ourselves with God's presence through worship and through his word, through fellowshipping with each other. Those things fill us. It's like a, It's like taking a deep, fresh, inhaling breath and that's very, very good. But then there's got to be equal levels of exhaling, giving back, serving, pouring out our lives for others. And as you grow and mature, you'll find this to be true that God has wired our joy into exhaling much more than an inhaling. The deepest joys come not when we're getting, but when we're giving. Entropy wants wants us to elevate self-indulgence to like an art form. Most of us are pretty good at it anyway, but we combat that by serving, by exhaling, using our lives, our energy, our resources to lift the life of someone else. Jesus did this and he calls us to do the same. Now there are lots of ways to do this, of course, and God will make those ways clear to you as you seek him. You could also contact any of the leadership at Life. You can contact me, any other other leaders here at Life Church, and we can guide you in that endeavor. It's a worthwhile endeavor. Now, I recognize that some of you don't know me from Adam. You're watching this this, uh, video online, and you don't know me. But I can tell you, for the last 30 years, I've been doing my best to help people live out their faith. I've been at this a long time, and I know this truth. I know this to be true. Entropy wants to conquer you. Don't kid yourself. Entropy wants to conquer you. You have dreams for your life. You want to grow in your walk with Jesus, and you want God to use you. And God can, and he will. I want to tell you, your future here at Life Church is bright. God's using you guys in powerful ways that will increase in the days to come. So you believe, and you pray, and you give your very, very best for God's kingdom. And when you pray, when you pray, remember to pray fervently for your pastor. And I'd like to leave you with a little challenge associated with that, if you don't mind. It goes like this. You ready? According to the frequency and intensity of your prayers for me, you'll get the pastor you deserve. Kind of works for the church as well. According to the frequency and intensity of your prayers for Life Church, you'll get the church you deserve. Serious business. Let's intercept entropy and give our very, very best for God and for God's people, can we? Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you give us guidance in your word. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge not just to inhale and take in, but to exhale and to give. I pray, Lord, that, that that picture is imprinted in our minds. Lord, help us to be those that are moving forward with you all the time. Lord, let us join together with other friends at Life Church and all around in the Christian body and link arms with each other, Lord, and move forward in your kingdom, active, not complacent, not apathetic. But active and moving towards you, embracing your best for our lives. We believe you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you, Life Church. It's a joy serving you. Let me leave you with this go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks.